You know how, how copywriters, we say that uh, there's no such thing as a sales letter that's too long. There's only a sales letter that's too boring. Right. And that goes to any kind of messaging, right? Like I get emails from people often who say, you know, you email me more than any other marketer because we email, you know, every day pretty much, sometimes multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. You email me more than every other marketer and you're the only person whose, email I, whose emails I read. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, and welcome back to The Truth About Marketing. It's Kevin Rogers here with another hot episode. Today, my guest is Danny Eaney from Firepole Marketing. Uh, This is a guy I've been trying to get on the show for a while now. He's been very generous to come on today uh, on launch day, no less, which is anybody in marketing knows could uh, typically be one of the most stressful days of your life. But this guy's cool as a cucumber. The fact that he's doing a podcast interview on launch day, I think says a lot about uh, his, his experience in the business. <laughs> so I am uh, proud to welcome a new dad and entrepreneur extraordinaire, Danny Eaney on the show. How are you, Danny? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I, I wouldn't say I'm quite cool as a cucumber, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, this was just too cool an opportunity to pass up. So I was like, yeah, all right, let's let's do it. Man, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I know what launch day can be like. So really, really um, flattered that you kept the appointment. Uh, certainly justified if you'd have moved it. So thank you. Um, so we were just chatting a bit ago, and I'm fascinated to learn a little bit more about your early history as in, you know, you had this entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, even as a teen, and you and I have something in common in that we both uh, left school uh, to do something we felt pretty passionate about. I know in my case, I, I just felt very restless in school and like I couldn't wait to be an adult and out there in the world, you know. <laughs> it is when I got to a certain grade, it just felt like the clock was moving in slow motion. Was that you? Were you kind of restless too, or what, what led to your, your, um, your moving on? You know, it's ironic because, like, if you had known me as a little kid, you never would have imagined that I would grow up to drop out of high school. <laughs> like, I was I was the, the goody-two-shoes kid in the class that mm-hmm. always had his homework before getting home kind of thing. Um, but somehow I got to, I guess I, I got to the eighth grade or ninth grade, I forget, but I, I went into that grade and just a flip, a, a switch flipped in my head. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I was just feeling bored out of my mind. And I started cutting classes. Now, I'm not a person who does anything half-assed. <laughs> I, I, I either, like, you know, not at all or, like, all the way. And so I don't remember if it was semesters or trimesters or what, but the first one I missed 152 classes. Wow. And, you know, all either uphill or downhill from there, depending on your perspective. Right. Um, and a year and a half later, I just decided, okay, you know what? I, I kind of took stock. I was like, okay, this is stupid. Uh, I'm not going to cut classes and watch MTV and go to the gym for another three years. I might as well do something useful. <laughs> so I'm going to make it official, quit school, and, and do something, start a business. Wow. Now, it's funny. We're talking about it as if it was strictly our choice and there was nobody else with an opinion or say in it. What, what were your parents thinking about all this? Um, my dad was flipping out, um, understandably. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, kids, don't try this at home. I'm not necessarily advocating that you should drop out of school, although there are certainly merits to that, <laughs> yeah. to that direction. Um, my mom was really supportive. She didn't have a great time in high school. Mm. And her perspective was that you, know, you can always go back and finish high school, which is true. I think it, uh, people catastrophize it. It's like, oh, my God, you're throwing your life away. No, worst comes to worst, you're throwing a year away, and then you'll go back and redo it. Like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but she basically said as long as I'm doing something constructive, she was okay with it. And uh, it, it was a great decision. Like I, I went back to school a few years ago and I actually got an MBA. And I feel like that was a really stupid move that cost me a lot of money for, for nothing. <laughs> but dropping out of high school was a, great, was a great decision for me. Wow. And how old are you now? I am 32 years old. I'm starting to have gray hair. <laughs> I got 13 years on you, so I don't want to hear it. I, just shave it off if it gets too gray. That's that's my advice. All right, it's a deal. <laughs> um, so uh, so tell me what you did. You decide I'm 15. I got I got bigger things happening here. What what were those things? Uh, well, I didn't have bigger things. I just I was like I'm going to do something. Okay. So at the time, this is you know this is a long time ago. Um, I knew HTML, hmm. which. I imagine most of the people listening to this know what that is, which means they know it's not a big deal at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew HTML, so I was like, I think I can build websites. And so I started pounding the pavement and going like literally down the street, walking into the into the shops and asking, do you need a website? And I was too inexperienced and naive at the time to realize that the person, the clerk at the counter <laughs> in the shop is not the person who makes that decision. <laughs> Um, and I never got any traction at all. But one day I'm sitting at a friend's house. We're playing one of these educational games with his seven-year-old sister. And he looks at the game and he says, you know, I'll bet you could build something like this. And I tell him, you know, I'll bet I could. No idea why, because I had none of the skills that would be required to do that. But mm. I say, yeah, I'll bet I could. So we find the box. I call up the company, get a meeting with the CEO. This is one of these things that in wow. hindsight, it's like, how did I do that? Yeah. But at the time, it didn't occur to me that it was a big deal. <laughs> so I walk into this guy's office. I'm like barely 16 years old. I tell him, I've got a business proposition for you. I think I can build the games that you're going to sell. And uh, my mom has a degree in psychology. I tell him, I've conferred with a psychologist. <laughs> and <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that if you want kids to really learn, they've got to be having fun and the learning's got to happen in the background. Um, now, what he could have said was, no kidding, I've been doing this for 10 years, get out of my office. Mm-hmm. But instead, he opens a drawer, he pulls out a document, he blows on it, and a cloud of dust flies off it. He says, this is a script that I wrote for a game eight years ago. Why don't you build it for us? And I say, yes, that sounds good. <laughs> and he says, uh, this will give you a sense of just how little I knew at the time. He says, how are you going to build it? And I, I didn't have any programming skills. I had a friend who knew Visual Basic, so I tell him, I'm going to build it in Visual Basic. And he says, isn't that like reinventing the wheel? Why don't you build it in Director, which is a a precursor to like Flash technology today. Mm. And I tell him, look, if we're going to be working together, then obviously I have to adapt to match your business practices. So no problem. I'll do it in Director. Shake hands. I go home. I open up Google, which was like brand new. And I type in, what is Director? (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got things started. No, uh, were you using that language? I mean, were you 
you know, uh, an early adopter of, of an intelligent speak, you know, where you're like really holding your own in that meeting coming off adult like, or, or is that your, you know, hindsight interpretation of it? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I feel like that's the language I've used, but yeah, is very plastic. So I could be wrong. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I got to tell a similar story. Um, it, it, it's one of those things because you look back and you realize, you know what? Uh, I can see why I'm um, successful because I've always gone after it, right? Now, that's what you're saying. I, who in the world, what 16-year-old would walk into that guy's office, have a meeting, accept his challenge, right, and, and then go, go make it happen? Uh, when, when my first love was radio, I, I thought, if I could be a radio DJ, well, what could be a better gig in the world, right? You sit there and you play records uh, and you get to talk into a microphone, and so I worked at, I was uh, detailed cars at a, at a car lot, uh, you know, like a car dealership. And I uh, said to the manager, and you know, you imagine the sales manager was this really, you know, uh, hardcore sales guy. And he, I said to him, hey, uh, if I record a commercial for you guys, will you put it on the radio? <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, sure. Um so he thinks, thinks I'll never do it. So I went home and I got my, my little plastic, uh, you know, recorder, my little cassette tape. And, <laughs> and, I, and I wrote some script, uh, just totally made up, and I recorded it. And uh, this is a great irony. So I, I, I go to give it to the guy, and it just turns out I show up right when he's holding a salesman's meeting, right? So here's all these hardcore car salesman types, and in walks this skinny kid from the detail shop with his little plastic <laughs> tape recorder and he goes play the commercial for all of us and i'm like oh no so i play it they listen and i think the guy's gonna level me and he goes he goes well he goes what you wrote sucks but you got a great voice <laughs> and the great irony of that is like now i'm a copywriter right to <laughs> radio but uh I, I look back then i go i can't believe i had the cojones to actually do that and walk in that guy's office, you know? Uh, and I think like that's the difference between people who sort of make it and people that don't is that it's, you're not thinking of failing. You're just thinking, why not? Why not try? Well, there's a quote that I really like, and I'm going to butcher it. I don't remember it exactly, but it's basically the idea that entrepreneurs accomplish a lot of what they do because they're too naive or inexperienced or idealistic to realize how unrealistic it is. Mm. So they're just like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. What's the big deal? Like, like getting that meeting with the CEO. Like I cannot remember how I did it because in my mind, like at the time, it wasn't noteworthy enough to remember. <laughs> right, right. But now I'm like, I, I wish I knew how I did that. Yeah, I'd bottle that now. That'd be a new course. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Good stuff, man. So uh, Danny, um, I'm sure that you have some really great intel uh, to share with us. As you know, this show is uh, always involves a case study, and so I'm going to ask you the big question here, and uh, I'm excited to hear your answer. So, uh, Danny Eni, what is the one thing, the one thing you've tried in your marketing that produced the most surprising results? Well, there have been a lot, but the, the one thing that I'm going to share today that I think is pretty cool is sending an email and then you know it worked so well that I worked it into all of my autoresponder sequences mm. and the subject line of the email is please unsubscribe mm. and in the email I basically explained that 
Um, I mean, being on an email list, it, it's like any relationship. You know, you meet someone and you see them a few times and, you know, it can go one of two ways. You either hit it off and you want to get to know them a whole lot better mm-hmm. or you don't. And, you know, let's just be friends. It's not you, it's me. And that's fine. And so I basically told them, look, you know, whenever I send out an email, I have a whole bunch of emails come back to me. And some people say, you know, thank you so much for putting all this great stuff together. I just, I love it. I'm so grateful. And other people say, you're sending me too much email. Slow down or I'm going to unsubscribe. Right. And how can you have such a disparate response to the same email? And it's like, well, it comes down to chemistry. You know, some people fit and some people don't. So if you're loving what I'm sending you, then stay tuned. I've got even better stuff coming. If not, here is a link. Click right here to be unsubscribed. And I wish you a ton of success. Um, and, you know, I didn't, people often when they say, well, you can unsubscribe, they bury it. And it's like, yeah, you've got to find the link. At the bottom. The link right. was right there. One click. Mm. And so here's what happened. First of all, very few people actually unsubscribed. Second of all, I got a lot of emails from people apologizing for not having been reading my email. Wow. <laughs> and saying, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to be more attentive. <laughs> I'm going to pay attention. I really do like it. Um, I got a few. You always get a few emails from marketers who are like, this is awesome. I love this. (laughs) Right. Um, But what was really interesting to me is what happened after I sent the email. Spam complaints dropped to zero. Hmm. Open rates increased. Click rates increased. Engagement increased. And the way I kind of interpret that is that when we... Like if you think back to you know Seth Godin permission marketing, the way that you know what all of our email lists are kind of based on, it's that people opt in. They are like think about that. They are opting in. They're making the choice to receive something. Right. They're giving you permission, mm-hmm. and so you send them stuff, and and you know they're engaged because they want it. And it's become so mainstream that we've kind of forgotten what it is, right? It's become like giving you my email list, giving you my my name and email address. It, I'm not giving it to you because I want it. It's just kind of the cost of doing business to see what the, the seven-page report is that you put together. Right. Right? And so that explicit decision to give permission, it's kind of gone away. And sending out that email, it made people kind of make it conscious. It's like, do you want to be receiving this email or not? And if they don't unsubscribe, they've they've kind of mentally they've made the decision yes i do want this i am staying here mm. it kind of gets people to reinvest and re-engage in the relationship and that's been really powerful like we have um multiple like now when when you get on my list i think we have two two emails like that in the onboarding sequence mm. um and then we have another one or two that are kind of behavior dependent nice. but i'll have that one that that's you know two or three weeks in i'll also send one um, this is actually <laughs> this is really cool i think you'll like this um, I send this, I think, one or two weeks in. I forget the timing exactly. Maybe it's 10 days. But I present it as a, it's a public service announcement that I sent to everyone on my audience. And I talk about it, kind of related idea, inviting people to unsubscribe. But the, the angle is that um, we're all oversubscribed and too much information with too little application doesn't help anyone. So here's what I suggest you do. Take 10 minutes, go through your email lists, make a list, like write them out by hand. What are all the email lists you're subscribed to? Mm. And take a highlighter and highlight the three to five most valuable ones. And I suggest you unsubscribe from all the rest. And I waited 10 days for you to get to know my stuff so you can make a decision. I hope we make the cut, but if not, best of success. 
Wow, that's great. And again, people, they don't usually unsubscribe. They're super grateful. Um, engagement goes up. And as a nice little bonus, they unsubscribe from a lot of my competitors. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love it. I mean, you know, this is the people, the transparency has become such a uh, ignorable term these days. It's kind of lost its meaning. But this is exactly, I think, what great transparency is. I mean, you're just saying the same thing to your a new subscriber or a long existing subscriber that you would to a friend or a family member who says, yeah, I've really gotten into this marketing thing, but I'm on too many lists and I can't read anything. That's exactly what you would tell them to do. Well, which, which ones are you reading? Which ones mean the most to you, right? Well, unsubscribe from the rest and then you'll be able to focus and really learn something. Uh, fantastic. So do you mind me asking some specific numbers about, about that, um, about that? Uh, case sure. Study? It was a while ago. I'll, I'll tell you what I remember. But okay. Yeah. What do you well, want? I'm just interested in, in list size. Uh, initially, like how big a list when you sent that first one, were you talking about here? I want to say we were somewhere in the range of like five to five to 10,000 people, maybe five to 15,000 people. And by the way, I was terrified to send that first email. Like my, my hand was kind of shaking, <laughs> approaching the send button. But I bet what, what um, in what um, system were you using at the time? I think I was using Aweber at the time. Interesting. Okay. And uh, what made you? If, if it made your hand tremble to do it, what was the overriding factor that said, "No, I need to do this"? That's a good question. I don't have a good answer to that. Like, I'm sure there was a reason. I'm sure there was like a proximate cause of like what prompted me to try this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's just one of those ideas that was kind of sitting in my head. And, you know, you watch your, your open rates kind of dwindle a little bit over time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get, uh, maybe I just got tired of the people complaining that, oh, you send me too much stuff. I just wanted to send this out. I was like, okay, look, just unsubscribe then. Like, what do you want from me? Right, right. No, it's great. And, you know, there's another great message in there. Um, I think you put it more eloquently than I'm about to. But the first time I heard somebody say this was was Ramit Sadie, And he said, um, you know, because he, he, he brought up the fact that he writes tremendously long emails and blog posts. And he said, you know, he went through this. And of course, he heard a lot of people say, oh, Ramit, I love your stuff, but I can't. Who could read all that? And he started to cater to shorter attention spans and, and focus just on, on open rates and things like that. And then he finally realized, you know what? I have to write how I speak. It, it's way more work for me to try to write this short. I feel like I'm not being sincere. I'm not getting all the information across that I need to. Uh, and he, when he stopped doing that, he realized when he just writes how he communicates, the people who will hear him best are the ones who stay engaged and they turn out to be his best customers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it sounds like that's exactly what you did is, is you said, Hey, I, you know, I can't be for everybody. And, and very politely said, I welcome you to, to move on if this isn't for you. But what's really interesting is sort of the psychological effect of that. You know, the, the amount of uh, gravitas you showed in doing that made people say, oh, wait a minute, this guy doesn't need me. I'm not doing him a favor <laughs> by staying on his list, even though I don't read his stuff. Uh, maybe I should sit up and pay attention. Well, it's always funny because, you know, you get the occasional crank. Oh, you're emailing too much. I'm, do this or do that or, or I'll unsubscribe. It's like, 
unsubscribe I and mean, do your worst. Like, what do I care? Right, <laughs> unsubscribe. Right. You know, I'm happy to share what I can share and I hope it helps you. But if it's not, unsubscribe. It's no skin off my back. Right. Um, yeah, I love and, that. And yeah. The, there, there's a, you know how, how copywriters, we say that um, there's no such thing as a sales letter that's too long. There's only a sales letter that's too boring. Right. And that goes to any kind of messaging, right? Like, I get emails from people often who say, you know, you email me more than any other marketer, because we email, you know, every day pretty much, sometimes multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. You email me more than every other marketer, and you're the only person whose, email I, whose emails I read, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's about creating stuff that people are going to value, but then standing behind that. And the, the part that I always find funny is that often the people who complain, they're the ones, they're going to start with, um, I am a marketing expert, <laughs> right? And here is my advice to you and what you should do. Right. And first of all, if you're a marketing expert, why are you subscribed to my list? Like, why are you learning about marketing from me? And second, you know, it's always you follow their link and it's like they have 17 followers on Twitter and their website <laughs> sucks. And it's like, why don't you just pay attention and learn something? I mean, you know, I'm right. not saying I've figured it all out, but clearly I'm doing something right. Right. It's that, it's that fixed learner mindset. Have uh, you read uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck? You familiar with that book? Mm, fantastic book. Yeah, that's just that. I think that's what that is, right? Those are people who they're not they're not growth learners, and uh, you know, it, it, I love that too when they they lead with their expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, see what you're trying to do here, Kev, but let me let me tell you what would work better. <laughs> like it comes down to, I think, insecurity, right? I mean, there's yeah. the question, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy or do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? And, you know, there are people who just deep down, they feel this need. I've got to be right. right. You know, I've, I, I need the valid and, and I'm not criticizing. It's it's actually sad, this, the chain of circumstances that lead you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you let go of that, it's like, you know, I matter if i'm right right now what matters is that i learned something right, right and that is what leads to success awesome so what is um it's it's firepole marketing right now it's firepolemarketing.com uh you are rebranding so but that link will will remain good uh why the rebrand you mind me asking about that yeah no for sure i, I won't share what we're rebranding to just okay. yet because mm-hmm. you know just in case i want to break the news on my own website sure um, but yeah, no, I can definitely speak to why. Um, we actually did a spoof of this um, on April 1st, um, kind of foreshadowing this. I, I wrote a, it was April Fool's, right? But I wrote this long email about how, you know, I, I can't, I can't um, keep living a lie and I just have to face the truth. And, um, you know, you've got to go where the market tells you. And we took a look at our search data and we found that, you know, more and more people are coming to us because they want stripper poles. And so that's where we're pivoting our business. Um, that's great. Like th- there was some truth, like <laughs> Firepole Marketing, and I've said this before publicly, like it's a stupid name. It's not a great name. It's, you know, my my partner at the time when we started this, and this was a very long time ago. He hasn't been involved in a very long time. But we were looking for a name. We were thinking that we were going to teach marketing courses or sell services like it was kind of vague what we were even going to do we were having breakfast looking for a name and getting tired and every all the dot coms were taken and so we kind of we were like what about fire pole you know like like at a fire station when the when your business is burning down you don't have time for the stairs mm. and the dot com was free we're so like, all right let's just do it but you know what we teach what we do is nothing to do it's not the first responder we are we get your results faster than it's like we're about real substance and stability and relationships and all that and 
you know, a brand is a living, evolving thing. And I think when you do a rebrand badly, it's when you're trying to pretend that you're you're something you're not. Like when, you know, Philip Morris rebranded as what, like, um, I forget what they call themselves, Atreon or something. Like, right. uh, and the logo is all, you know, no, no cigarettes here, just rainbows. <laughs> right, right. And it's like nobody's buying that. But, you know, <laughs> a rebrand done well is recognizing that your brand is is people's perception of who you are and what you do. Hmm. And it's taking your brand, your name, your colors, your messaging, your everything. And I, I don't want it to be in sync with who we used to be five years ago. I want to be in sync with who we are and what we stand for and where we're going. Hmm. And that's, that's really the rationale for it. That's great. And what, pretty massive undertaking. I mean, obviously there's going to be always going to be fire pole stuff out there. Uh, reports and, and products and stuff you've released in the past. Uh, how will you, without revealing too much, make sure everybody understands? It seems to me that, you know, clarity is, is the driving factor here. Um, you know what? It is and it isn't. Because um, you're right. I mean, the, the transition has to be handled well. And if we don't handle it well, we're going to lose a lot of the traction we've built. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, at the same time, it's. I, I was talking to a friend today, and he said um, that his mentor used to tell him, "You'd all." You're, I'm always surprised at how few leads you need. Hmm. Basically, the idea being, you don't need the masses; you need the people who are really engaged. I think the people who are really engaged are going to pay attention. They are going to notice. They're going to resonate and really appreciate where we're going. And you know, we're going to work hard to tell the story. And there's just like any campaigns, like here's where this came from, and the quote unquote pre-launch setting up where this is changing and you know the big reveal and all that mm-hmm. um when we do the redirect we're going to have for quite a while that you know if you land on a site on a page of the site redirected from firepole marketing there'll be a modal that kind of pops up and says were you looking for firepole well this is who we are now mm-hmm. so we're going to do all that but in the in the bigger picture like stepping away from the tactics of how to minimize the damage um I kind of looked at the picture and I was like, you know what? Firepole is just not who I want us to be anymore. And it's going to be less and less who I want us to be over time. And so the question kind of becomes, you know, if you've got to do it now or you've got to do it later, might as well get over now. Like whatever the damage might be, it's like, look, it's going to be the cost of doing business. Like when people talk about, you know, switching their email autoresponder system. Right. It's like, yeah, it's a rough transition. But if you know you've got to do it, Get it over with now. Why Why grow even further and lose some of that growth? Right, right. Yeah, great point. We have a client who uh, just switched their entire shopping cart in, you know, new website, rebranding, everything, entire ordering process. So their prescription uh, subscriptions for their products were at 25%, and everybody had to rejoin and, you know, you have to make sure everybody feels safe. What happened to my old data? What, what, what's going on here? Uh, and amazingly, um, after 30 days, their subscriptions are up by like 60% after the transition. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and I said to the guy, I said, do you realize that if, if we were sitting here saying we only lost 40%, we'd be celebrating, you know? Uh, and so... Yeah, that was. It, it, but it goes. To, it's exactly what you're saying. Is that uh, this client's fan base is so rabid 
that they were just thrilled to be a part of. They got it. You know, we explained clearly, here's what's going on. Here's why we're doing this. Here's how it's going to benefit you. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. I'll follow these instructions. Well, you know, there's something else to it. I've been involved in a few rebrand campaigns, and they've, that's actually not an atypical result. Um, and I've also been involved in a whole bunch of product launches. And again, they, they tend to create a lot of engagement and all that. And what people, I think, forget is there's a huge difference between involving people in the story and presenting something as a fait accompli. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, Google just changed their logo. Yeah. Um, I hate the new logo. Mm-hmm. I think the old one looked classy, and I think the new one looks like kid, like like children's fridge magnets. Right. But there's always going to be a gap in terms of you know what's familiar versus what's new, and maybe it's going to grab you, and maybe it's not. But they didn't do anything to tell the story of how they arrived at this change. They just like oh, new logo one day, right? When you tell the story. When you say, like, here's where we've come and here's what we have learned from all of you and here's how you have influenced what the brand is becoming and here's what we're looking for and tomorrow is the big reveal of how it's going to all change to be what you all know that it could be, Mm. you change people's stance from what they're looking at it and that makes all the difference. It's uh, Are you familiar with the IKEA effect? I'll, I'll, I'll ask. What is it? It's so it's a uh, it's just this piece of research I've been a little bit obsessed with <laughs> for the last month. Um, it, it's research, behavioral science research coming out of um, Harvard and Yale and Duke, okay. um, led by Dan Ariely at Duke. And what they did is they brought a whole bunch of participants into a room. They had them build stuff, so you know, origami paper stuff, mm-hmm. um, Lego stuff, um, IKEA furniture, hence the name, the IKEA effect. And when they're done, they ask, how much do you think this is worth, what you built? So you write down your price. And they take out the participants, bring in a new group of participants. They ask these new people, look at this stuff. How much do you think this is worth? And every time, you value more something that you built, that you are part of creating. And I think what a lot of marketers do, and you know, whenever you're communicating anything, it's marketing. The mistake they make is that they, they make it. And then they come and say, look what I made. You know, isn't this awesome? Right. Instead of involving people in the story of its creation. Mm. That's great. Fantastic. And you're exactly right about Google. I, I, I remember vaguely seeing a, a, a wiping motion uh, one time when I logged in and then, a, and then a new logo. And I kept thinking, what is this permanent? what happened here right mm-hmm. and then i just saw that it was hanging around long enough and accepted it um and and you're exactly right it could have been so interesting uh to, to be a part of it and, instead, and it could have been so easy yeah i mean everyone visits that page why not instead of just the stupid wipe why not have a little video like yeah. a, a 60 or 90 second explainer video about how google has grown up and the umbrella of Google has become Alphabet, and Google is now about this, and you know there's a new childlike exuberance about blah blah blah. I don't know, whatever. Right. Right. But like all it would have taken is a 90 second video. Right. People would have shared it. People would have commented on it. Some people would agree with it. Some people wouldn't. But there would have been buzz. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, well, so cool. And uh, last question about this is fascinating to me. I can't wait to watch this happen with Firepole. Um, how, when you want to keep it sort of in house, how do you test the new brand? 
Um, also, it's a really tough question. Um, and the answer for me in this case, um, and actually other rebrands I've been a part of as well, is we don't. Um, we don't test it. We just, you know, I look at it and I, I'm using my judgment and what feels right to me because ultimately it's my business and the vision that I'm building. Now, this is not alone. You know, we're just talking about doing things in partnership with your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in a role of stewardship of the experience that my audience has and my community has with us. But the reason I'm in that role of stewardship is that, you know, I've been, they've trusted me this far. And so I'm being very careful to think about what matters to them and what matters to us and how our goals and future as a community are going to be growing in the direction that we care about. And I'm making the judgment calls. Um, At the end of the day, it has to be congruous with what I care about building and what our community cares about building. Um, Like, you know, they say test everything, but not everything you should test. You know, as a politician, should you be testing your sound bites? Maybe in some cases in terms of how can you best present something that in order for it to resonate with your audience. But I don't think you should be testing your platform. I think you should be standing for something. And people should follow you because they believe in what you're standing for. Um, this rebrand is, is not about, um, and pandering is the wrong word because you know I have nothing but respect for my audience, but it's not about pandering to what people want us to become. It's about standing for something so that the people who believe in that can rally around it. Mm. Well, that's eloquent. Danny, I've really enjoyed this. I'm going to end it right there because I, I can't imagine us following that sentiment. <laughs> that was really great. Uh, I love where this went. I'm fascinated to watch it happen. I, I think this interview will be coming out right around the same time you're revealing this new brand. So I'm really excited about it. Thank you so much for doing this today. Um, congratulations on being a dad. And uh, all the best to you, man. Kevin, thank you. This has been a ton of fun. Um, you know, I thought we were just going to get on here and talk about email marketing a little bit. Here we get to talk about all these exciting ideas. I just, I've had a blast. Um, and I'm really excited that, uh, that we've officially connected. I hope this is going to be the beginning of, uh, of a lot of cool things. Um, and to everyone who's, who's listening to this, I just want to say um, thank you for your um, attention and patience um, as we kind of rambled across different topics. I hope it's been interesting and valuable. And if you have follow-up questions, if there's anything you think that I or my team can do to help you, I'm not talking about you know products or whatever. I'm just you know if there's something that you want to ask or explore further, um, we at Firepole slash whatever the new name is going to be that I'm not announcing just yet. <laughs> um, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that we answer every question that people email to us. Um, you know, subject matter to, like you can email us marketing, marketing questions. We're going to answer them. Um, you don't have to buy anything from us for that. So if, if we can be of support to you, just go to Firepole Marketing or whatever the, that website redirects to and, and send us questions. And um, I'd love to support you and, and connect if I can. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And I'm sure you'll get lots of response. Uh, so Danny, Eni, thank you so much. I hope we can do this again. And we'll, we'll certainly be talking again soon. I look forward to it. Okay, man. See you. Hey, thanks for listening to another fine episode of the Truth About Marketing podcast. I do appreciate your time. I know you have lots of choices. And if you're loving this podcast, I'm loving having you listen to it. And let's celebrate our relationship 
won't we, with a review, <laughs> a five-star review on iTunes.com. You know that's how they judge these things, right? iTunes looks at how many people rate and review your podcast, and then they decide if it's worthy of telling other people about. So if you think this is a good podcast and you think other people like you should hear it, if you go to iTunes and rate and review the show, that's the best way to get the word out. Really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about how to improve your copy, you can do that on the inside at copychief.com and visit copychief.com forward slash T-A-M to get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode. The Truth About Marketing podcast is produced by James Clouser, graphics by Cassie Clouser, and the bullets for this show, so handily displayed for you, written by Dan Ludgater. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.